Blog Talk Radio. And good morning or afternoon, wherever you may be. Welcome to another exciting episode of Let's Coach, the show that brings the best from the coaching world for you to use in your everyday life. And we talk about what coaching can do for you. We bring you great small business ideas and some good news stories. And we share stories about people paying it forward in their everyday lives. And today we're going to be talking about having an attitude of gratitude, making peace with your past, with our guest expert, Megan Enriquez. But first, I want you to get to know a little bit more about me, your host. So if it's the first time you're listening to the show, let me introduce myself. I am Carolyn R. Owens, and I am the chairwoman and CEO of Infinity Coaching Incorporated, where we help you up-level your skills, so you can up-level your income. And so we do this through career, leadership, and life coaching, and we offer one-on-one coaching, group coaching, as well as workshops, assessments, and organizational training. We help our clients create the life of their dreams, and we have a lot of fun in the process. For us, it's all about having success on your own terms. And so you can find me all across social media, um, primarily on Twitter, at Carol R. Owens, or you can always visit my website, infinitycoaching.net, to learn more about me, who I am, what I do, and how I serve. You can also find me, I'm also on Facebook, Google+, LinkedIn. If you just search Carolyn R. Owens, you'll find me, or Infinity Coaching, and one of my sites will pop up and they all link you to the next. Or you can connect, um, it's all on the website as well. But we also are on Periscope, uh, three times a week, Monday at 2 p.m., Friday at 2 p.m., and then on Thursdays we pop on 5.30 p.m., but on Mondays we provide you tips and strategies that help you move forward in your life or your career or your business. And on Friday we kind of look at how did you implement the strategies, do some follow-up, get you ready for that weekend so you guys have an awesome weekend. And then on Thursdays we do what we call real talk. It's all about success or um, scopes that we do are success scopes. And on Thursday we come on and we talk about, you know, you get all this information and you learn things, but how does it apply to real life? And so we talk about some real life experiences and things that have happened or what's trending and going on in your community where you can really see how does this come to play? How does this really, you know, amplify my life or how does this really work with me or how can I use these skills with the people that I connect with every day? And that's Thursdays at 5.30 and it's all Eastern times. So you can catch me there on Periscope. And on Periscope, of course, you can find me there through Twitter, but it's at Carol R. Owens. And then uh, you can, I forgot, Instagram, at Carolyn R. Owens. Like I said, I'm all over social media. But you can also, if you have any questions, ideas, or suggestions about the show, any feedback you want to give, you can email me at cowens at infinitycoaching.net. Or you can always text me or give me a call at 901-218-7664. And so I just want to remind you of our the upcoming event that we've been talking about, which is the Pink event, which is March 5, 2017, and tickets will be going on sale December 1st. So you want to definitely get the VIP tickets sell out rather quickly. So you want to uh, take a look at that, and you can go to the website, thepinkevent.net. But there, if you guys have been listening um, for a while now, you know that I've been talking about this. it's the seventh year of the Pink event. 
and they have been giving away a VIP ticket every other week for the past couple of weeks. And so the uh, last ticket will be given away soon. I'm not sure if it's this Sunday or next Sunday they announce it, but you have to um, follow them on their Facebook page to enter and win. And it's the pink event, Ultimate Women's Day Out number 7. Um, that's the page on Facebook there. That's where they do the giveaway. And it started in September, and it runs through this last one coming up. Seven years, they did, they were giving away seven VIP tickets. But the pink event is definitely a very empowering event. You have speakers. You have vendors. You have entertainment. You have food. It's a wonderful time. I have spoken at the event. I have volunteered for the event. I have attended the event. And people fly in for it now. Uh, last year they had over 400 attendees, and this year they're anticipating over 500. And this event is in March. And I'm going to tell you, out of all the vendor spaces there, as of last count, there's 10 or 9 spaces left. So you definitely want to check that out if you just attend, if you come as a vendor. It is a wonderful event. And they also have the Pamper Lounge. And you'll be hearing from some of the speakers as well as the founder of the event starting in December here on the show. I have the honor of interviewing them. So you want to stay tuned for that, and you'll get to get a little taste of what you're going to see and hear at the Pink event. So be looking for that starting in December. And so I want to – I believe we have our guest on the line – let me go ahead and see, bring her on, and then I can introduce her. Hi. Is that you, Megan? Yes, how are you? <laughs> can you hear Hi, me okay? welcome to Let's Coach. Yes, I can hear you. I want to go ahead and introduce you for our listeners so they can get to a little you know, background first before we get started on the interview and kind of tie everything together and why this is such an important time to do this interview. Uh, I think more and ever understanding about having an attitude of gratitude and making peace with our past is such an important topic. And so Megan Enriquez is the founder and CEO of True Conversations, and she's also the president of the Asian Business Collective for Women, and she's also an independent consultant with Arborn International, which is, a, if you don't know what it is, is a vegan skincare um, cosmetic line and nutrition company. And they have you know, wonderful, wonderful vegan-based products that you can use. So she's always been in positions where communication engagement has been key, and she thrives on that heart-to-heart connection. And I think when you get into more of the interview and you hear from her, you'll see how the that skill set, the communication, the engagement has really allowed to, her, her to thrive in business as well. And so we, we, we always know when we talk about our guests, not only do they have the experience, they also have the education behind them. So she's earned several degrees. She's earned degrees in exercise science and psychology from uh, Slippery Rock University where, with honors with, um, while she was a VP of Academic Affairs and Student Government and numerous other highly public leadership positions. And she spent six years developing and leading the intervention of multi-million dollar weight loss trials. And so this was, but they were for people that were dealing with mental illnesses with John Hopkins University. And while she was there, she was the youngest intervention director. I'm sorry, my dog just jumped on me. Forgive me. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, excuse that there. That's what you do when you do live radio. I know you hear them. They're literally like jumping on me right now. 
Um, but Megan went on to speak at statewide conferences and on a nationally broadcasted radio station for the American College of Sports Medicine. And so she, like I said, she's, in a lot of what she's done, she's had to deal with communication engagements of all levels in all areas. And so she started her own business about five years ago, and her ultimate goal has been to uplift and empower others through different transitional stages of life. And she gets to do this from being a mother and with true conversations in Arborn. She really gets to engage and do this. And her experience in behavior change, leadership, research, business, and her background in psychology is what led her to create true uh, conversations. And as you understand and learn more about her, you'll see why all of that she's experienced. You know, we talked about in, um, before on the show how what we experience in life leads us to that ultimate purpose to really, as we're building a skill set and as we're going through life, and she's really reached a point where everything she's done in life and everything she's experienced has been enabled her to have this vision, to have this mission that she's going to share with us. And True Conversations is such a power. I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of attending some of the events and understanding that it provides this platform for conversations that we need and talking about some of the issues that usually have this stigma attached to them, these things that we don't want to talk about. But in today's society, we have to talk about it to strengthen our communities, to strengthen ourselves as individuals, but we avoid these. And Megan has found a way to lead these conversations, to get things out in the open so people don't have to live in somewhat a darkness state that only perpetuates a, a cycle of hate. A, 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 well, we're going to have her talk about it. <laughs> so, Megan, welcome to the show. I am so honored to have you here with us. Thank you so much, Carolyn. It's an honor to be here, and what a beautiful um, introduction. I was listening to it going, who is she talking about? <laughs> but um, <laughs> so thank you so much. It's nice to be able Christina, to listen also, back you know, to your life. <laughs> I, I know you, so I know how passionate you are and that where you are now is just the beginning of what you're going to be yeah. doing. And even knowing today I am – honored that you're sharing your story with us because I know it's a very personal and it's a very emotional story and it's a topic that you know it it comes with so much stigma and so I you were at a very very young age adopted yes and how what in adoption has so much stigma attached to it when people, and especially what children have to go through today, and mm-hmm. when they're, they're, they, someone hears that they're adopted, it's an immediate, oh, I'm so, I feel so sorry for you. And mm-hmm. it comes with all that, the mindset that people start thinking of all these negative things that had happened. So I, I want to start really by saying, how old were you when you were adopted? I was about four months old and um, flew halfway across the world with a social worker to land in New York City um, and meet my my family. You know, and you were four months old, and I, I the statistics are very um, were hard to kind of get concrete. So I, I went with one that I knew was a solid statistic. And this was from 2001, so I know that the numbers are higher now. 
but in 2001 there were 1.5 million children that were adopted in the United States, which was um, about 2.5% of all U.S. children. And you were you were adopted outside of the country. If you don't mind sharing, um, where mm-hmm. were you adopted from? Uh, I was born in South Korea, so that's where I came from. And, and that's where a lot of the children in the United States across the globe are adopted from other countries. There's about 106 different countries um, that children are adopted from that from and come to the United States, and. Uh, South Korea is about 8% of our adoption rates here from outside the United States. When So you were adopted as, as a baby. When did you even find out that you were adopted? How did you find out? So this is a, uh, I love answering this question because <laughs> this is one of those things that my parents totally rocked out. Um, They did such (laughs) an amazing, beautiful job of um, sharing this with me. So it actually started out when I was a baby. And, you know, nowadays we know that children are listening and absorbing information from the time they're in the womb. And so the fact that they, every night when I would go to bed, um, they would tell me a story. And that story was my adoption story. They would explain how they went to New York. They drove there, and they um, came and picked me up at an airport. And, you know, that I was their child. Um, They always emphasized that we were always meant to be a family. I just happened to be born halfway across the world and had to travel a little bit further than most babies have to get have to travel in order to get to my parents. And so ever since I could remember, I knew this story and it became so ingrained into what I accepted as reality and as normal um, that I remember my mother sharing with me one day, I was probably around three years old and having heard this story for three years, I guess I had a neighbor who had a, a baby, and um, I was interested in babies at the time and where babies came from. And I just told my mother, well, you know, when I um, am old enough and I'm married and I go to the airport to pick up my baby, and she <laughs> paused and said, oh, my gosh, honey, we need to have a conversation <laughs> because that's not how everybody has babies. <laughs> And so um, to me, it was completely normal. It was completely normal for me to look different as well from my parents. My parents are not of Asian descent. They're of German and Canadian French descent. So they had to, I think they made that choice to tell me very early on, not care me um, for that question as they went on in life, like why do you look different than your parents, but also – to really solidify for themselves, I'm sure, that our story has equal meaning to anyone else's journey to parenthood story has. And that's one of the um, more positive, open ways that I've heard of a child being told, being told as a bit, basically a bedtime story, but it was your reality, you know, understanding your history, your truth. Do, do you feel that made a difference? in how you felt about the adoption? 
I do. I think that was probably on the most basic level the way I understood adoption at that time and um, even growing up as a child and that it really laid the groundwork for me to be understand gratitude from a very young age, um, to understand that we were lucky, that um, we were lucky we found each other because some parents and children have to wait longer than we had to wait. Um, some parents and children end up being in a family and uh, things are harder for them. Um, as I got older, the stories and the questions I would start asking as I became more curious about Korea or adoption or especially once I entered grade school and other children would start asking me questions, I would turn around and ask my parents those questions. So um, it, it definitely influenced how I looked at my role in life that I was given this opportunity to grow up in a country where we have lots of choices, where um, people of all different backgrounds can achieve whatever they really wish for and whatever they really want to contribute to the world. So I took that to heart, I think, from a very young age that I had a responsibility and that I um, was just very lucky and, and had a lot to be grateful for. Unfortunately, a lot of children experience that process the same way. Um, mm-hmm. I recall when I was on active duty, a child was in high school before he found out, and he only found out when he was looking for a document in his mother's room. And yeah. he basically he had a breakdown because all those years he really thought that was his mother you know, that he had been through his parents getting divorced and everything. And to find out that wasn't his mother, it devastated mm-hmm. him. And his behavior, he took an opposite end of the spectrum and just his behavior went downhill. He started stealing. Um, it just was too much of an emotional toll on him. But he also found out his history in that when you think about the stigma of adopted children, Yes, he was one of the true statistics where he was born um, addicted to uh, crack cocaine, Mm -hmm. and it was in his system as a baby when they adopted him. So all the stigma rushed to him at once, and it was Mm. way too much for him to handle. There wasn't a process of educating him along the way that he could handle, um, you know, learning his history, learning his past. Yeah, um, I I can understand that completely because even though I knew from a young age, I think as a human being, regardless of what our journey is, whether we're adopted or we're not adopted, there are pieces of our identity that we explore as we get older. We um, sort of uncover, and for him, it sounds like it was such a, uh, an external uncovering it was it was not something he was looking to uncover you know but no. he want but he came across it and it just shook his world and i also can empathize with that feeling of um unearthing of distrust if mm. it's something that i'm sure or I can guess maybe he experienced, because even as what I've come to learn is 
even as an infant, um, at whatever point you were adopted, at whatever point um, you know you were taken from the support system that you had, you know, for me at four months old, when I had my daughter and I saw her at four months old, a light bulb went off to me about how traumatic being pulled away from the people I knew, the smells, the sights, the language that was familiar to me must have been, how traumatic that must have been. Um, And I hadn't realized that that would have been very altering. I thought, well, four months old, I was lucky that I was separated at such a young age, but those are the crucial months where you're developing, do I trust my support system or not? And so for myself, I think for some other adoptees, even when you can paint this beautiful, supportive, positive, everything happens for a reason mantra in their mind and in their heart, there are some very real things that still could possibly get ingrained into their tiny, tiny brain, you know, things that I must have decided as a very young child or a very young infant that I wasn't going to um, let myself get hurt like that again, that I wasn't going to uh, love as deeply as I could have because I did it and then it got ripped away from me. You know, these are some of the things that I think I've uncovered over the past couple of years now that I get to watch my own children grow up a little bit and see them go through the age that I was when I was adopted. So for him, oh my goodness, I mean, how how much of a different experience that must have been. Um, mm-hmm. But in those ways, I can I can certainly understand and empathize his reaction. One of the things you mentioned was as you got older and you were in school, children began to ask questions. And, and that's another part of the stigma is about being judged by your peers and the questions that they begin to ask you often come from a place of pity and um, it's, you know, children can be unintentionally say some of the cruelest things. And so Mm -hmm. what was it like for you once you were in school and growing up and having to be around other children knowing that you were adopted? Again, it was very obvious to all of the community and to the other classmates I had that I was adopted. I actually grew up in a town where it was predominantly Caucasian. Um, I was one of three minorities in my entire elementary school class. Uh, And so there were many things that sort of lit, gave them fuel for a fire to be able to ask me some questions. It showed up in many different ways. I remember one day being on the playground and a boy didn't want me to play on the jungle gym with him. And he was kind of a bully anyway. He wasn't very nice to anybody. But on that particular day, the way that he reacted to me playing there is he told me to go back where I came from. And, you know, I remember this was probably in third grade. And I remember standing there knowing what he meant but being surprised that a child my age would say something like that. And um, so there were all kinds of of things that, for my experience, less than I think for 
that from a pity standpoint, and this is actually, I think, attributed to the fact that I'm, I am of an Asian descent. I think that the assumptions and uh, maybe prejudices when it comes to someone of Asian descent is that we we don't need to be pitied, right? We're well off enough or, um, well, our circumstances must have been good circumstances versus someone of a different origin of of ethnicity, um, they're, they're poor and they, they do need that pity. So for me, it was, it was a little bit reverse, um, where, you know, I got that remark, go back to where you came from, just simply because he didn't want me playing on the jungle gym. And he said, yeah, go back to where you came from, wherever you're born. Um, my brother and I, my brother's, um, of Caucasian, he was born in America, but he's also adopted. And him and I both heard, um, you know, go find your real parents and, and all mm-hmm. of that. Um, but for me, my experience was the other area that people would, children would comment on my difference was simply because I looked different. And so if I did really well in school, that was a reason to bully me. That was a reason to bring up that I was adopted. That was a reason to point out a difference and how lucky my parents were. Um, I remember hearing parents say this at open, you know, back to school night. Oh, how lucky my parents were to have such a smart child. Um, And so it just showed up in very different ways because of their assumptions about who I was just genetically and what I was capable of doing, performance in school, um, my behavior, my politeness, my quietness. Instead of attributing it to how my parents raised me, they attributed it to just my genetic origin. Did you, and then a lot of times that will affect how people feel with their identity, really finding out who they are. Um, and if you look at what the media says, that all adopted children go through this identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have to struggle with in there being that you and your brother were both adopted and in, in him being a male and you being a female some of the different challenges that you might have gone through with your identity and figuring out well who am I really mm-hmm. yeah in um gosh identity is such a loaded question uh, <laughs> so <laughs> so one of the advantages i think to being adopted is that you learn very early on to see people as people versus, especially when the Mm -hmm. adoption perhaps happens or happens when you don't look like your family. Because the way that at least my parents raised me was that I was an American. They Mm -hmm. um, wanted me to be comfortable living in this country, thriving in this country, and so they treated me like an American. You know, they raised me to think of myself as one of everybody to be that I belonged here. Um, I'm not sure. So there's a right or a wrong. Some parents uh, put more emphasis on helping that child understand their ethnic origins, which I think is also correct. So there's there's not judgment here in terms of, like, which parenting style is better or worse when helping a child be comfortable with their identity. That's the thing. You know, I think had I been just a different personality and a different purpose, 
maybe I would have wanted more Korean culture, but I was fully willing to jump right in and be American in every sense. I love American food. I actually wasn't even until I was probably in my mid-20s when I even took one bite of Korean food, you know. So, um, you know, when it comes to sort of my challenges, I think, with identity, it's it's been uh, sometimes I ask myself, um, why did my soul, why did I pick to be born into a body where I do look different than where I'm living? you know, than the majority of people of where I'm living? Why did I choose to have this vessel to go through life with? Um, because I wholeheartedly believe my parents are my parents. doesn't mean that they were not meant to be my parents. My, I believe that we are connected from before either of us were born. My mother, um, what they had put in an application for with Korea to adopt a baby girl, and they were told, well, we don't have any babies available. You're going to have to wait probably a couple of years before you hear from us, but we'll process your application anyway. And on Good Friday in church, my mother had this knowing, had this feeling that her baby was being born. And she told my my dad, and my dad said, yeah, but, we're not getting a baby anytime soon. They told us that it was going to be a couple of years. This is, this is impossible. And she said, I don't know why, but I know my baby's being born right now. And lo and behold, when they ended up getting the phone call a couple months later that there was a baby girl in Korea ready for them, they looked at the paperwork born on that exact day. <laughs> so my identity has always been that these are my parents. Um, my identity culturally has always been I'm an American. Um, but I do sometimes ask myself, okay, well, then why? What am I supposed to do with my life? And why do I need to have this vessel to be able to pursue that work? Um, and then the third part of, I think, identity and, and is sort of what, why are we here, right? And that's a human identity crisis. That's mm-hmm. not just an mm-hmm. a adoptee identity crisis. It's always asking yourself, you know, why am I here? And As I'm asking myself this, maybe this is different for adoptees, maybe not, is that you ask yourself that question from a very young age. At least I did. I remember asking myself that question since I was probably three years old because that's the first time I have memories of myself, right? Um, I felt a huge responsibility that because I was adopted, I must have been given this opportunity for a reason. And I used to carry that around for a long time that – as a heavy responsibility, as I am indebted to the world because I, of all their children who are born, was given this opportunity to grow up in America and have recently had to let go of that obligation. Creating work and creating purpose for yourself, I believe, is it's, it's too forced and it's too heavy when it comes from a place of obligation. And instead of feeling I need to do something big with my life because I'm indebted to who knows what, it should come from, well, my journey is equal to anyone else's, whether you're adopted or not. My purpose is not bigger or greater just because I was given, because my my way of finding my family was different than yours. We each have an equal 
responsibility. We each have an equal gift to be able to experience life this time around in a certain way, to be able to impact others in a certain way. And um, being adopted is part of my story. It's part of how I got to be here, but I shouldn't have this extra pressure. And I think that many adoptees and probably adopt uh, parents who adopt feel an extraordinary extra to do something really wonderful and to have a huge impact. And I just almost recently have come to this realization that that we can let that go. We can let go of that story because when it's coming out of an obligation, it's it's not you're not able to really free yourself and figure out give yourself permission to just be you, to just um, find who you are. Because if you're just wrapped up in your ego and wrapped up in your head and wrapped up in what's this, how society measures how valuable mm-hmm. you are, you're not going to make the choices all the time that are truest to you. And when you can realize your journey is equal to anybody else's, you're not more indebted to the world than anyone else on the planet. You just get to do you. You get to be you. You get to find you. Um, then it's very liberating. And you get to serve others and come from a place of pure heart, pure love, um, and, and show who you are, show that identity without measuring it based on, you know, the current culture or the current trends. So, you know, you mentioned being a mother, and I know one of the other areas where children that are adopted, they say often struggle, is in personal relationships. Um, Being able to be in a healthy marriage, um, they have often, because they feel that uh, someone's left me, they end up, when when times get hard, they walk out on the relationships. Um, mm-hmm. But you are in a very healthy, happy marriage. Was it always that way, or did you go through some challenges in being able to have that relationship? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. When you say relationship, I think of three, three areas of my life where relationships where I want a healthy relationship exists. So the first being um, the relationship with my husband, um, which I'll come back to, and the second being the relationship with my parents, and the third being relationship with my children. You know, how healthy are those relationships, and um, what am I striving for? So when it comes to my husband, somehow uh, this is one of, the pieces of proof I always keep with me whenever I'm wondering, is life really working out the way, you know, that it's supposed to? It's like my faith is so high in that life is working out the way that you, you it's meant to and that you want it, you truly want it to, so that you get to experience what you're here for. Because I was so fortunate to end up uh, having – my husband come into my life, and he was brought up with an extremely solid attachment style um, with his his mom, 
even though his dad had left his life early on, his mother did a knockout job, very healthy attachment for him. So he never, uh, I think one of the things with adoptees or anyone who struggles with attachment and trust is that if you get into a relationship with someone who is very healthy in their trust and attachment, you have a chance. I kind of joke about that. You have a chance (laughs) at also achieving a healthy attachment style because the tendency, I mean, all of us are very different, and and there's plenty of reasons why people have unhealthy attachment uh, or attachment disorders, and it's not because they're adopted, you know, but it, it can be a huge catalyst for that. I think it for me it was um, not only because of my personal experience as a baby, uh, having been taken from my birth mother, placed into a, a foster home. I got very sick, so I had to go back into the hospital where if anyone's had a child in a NICU, imagine you can't even be there or there, because I was with a social worker, she couldn't be there with me. So I was just left by myself for the days when I had mm. to heal. And then going back into a foster home and then a few months later coming over to America where everything was sensory-wise very different. And, you know, I I learned over the past few months that it wasn't just my attachment issues I had been carrying with me into relationships, like with my husband, but it was also that my birth mother, I recently learned, was also abandoned by my birth father when she found out she was pregnant. So the whole time she was pregnant with me, which I think could be a very similar story to many women who um, choose to give the gift and place their child up for adoption, is that they've been abandoned. And so when you're pregnant, and this is all that you're thinking of, is how someone left you, who you thought loved you, who you thought would support you, and who's now left you with the hardest decision of your life. Um, how that transpires and, and attaches itself to that baby that's growing inside of you. So I wholeheartedly believe, I know some people might not, you know, totally jive with this idea, but I believe that I carried some of her pain with me and have just recently been able to release some of that. So when I started dating my husband, I really um, didn't think that I had any issues with trust um, until, uh, you know, we matured in our relationship. And I started to really ask myself, why do I keep asking him this question? And this question was, why do you put up with me? Why do, why do you still love me when I don't treat you sometimes, you know, the best way? Why do you let me talk to you when I'm ranting and raving about how the kitchen's not clean? Why do, why do you stay? And I remember one day thinking, why am I even asking this question? You know, does everyone ask this question all the time? And as I entered into parenthood and having to learn what unconditional really means when it comes to love, I realized that I, one of my faults, you know, up until that point was that I had understood love as being conditional. I had understood love is that you love when things are going nicely, you love and you give attention when you're behaving the correct way. And somehow that, you know, evolved as I was growing up and that that was what love was. So that's why I had been asking my husband, why are you still here when I'm not being nice? And 
you know, his response, because he has a very healthy attachment and a very healthy idea of what love was, he said, because I, I love you. And to me, I remember thinking, well, that's crazy. But now, you know, <laughs> as, as we've been, now that I've recognized I have this challenge or I had this challenge, I've been able to open myself up and, and even being aware that I had that challenge, I've been able to heal. I've been able to recognize and catch myself when I start thinking these things. Um, and it's furthered my ability to, to love my parents unconditionally. You know, I think when we become adults, especially, we start looking at our parents. We go through this awkward stage where we are old enough now that we recognize, we think our parents still should be perfect people. And then we wake up one day and realize, oh, my gosh, no, they're, they're always going to be flawed. They're always going to have these quirks, and I just either have to love them or or and that's really the only choice I really felt like I you know have of course I'm going to love them but I wanted to love them more I wanted to um be able to not be afraid of losing them and so mm. um you know of course I'm going to lose them someday and I think this is a scary thing for anybody I think death scares a lot of people um but especially for adoptees I anticipate we might have more fear around it because it's just simply another loss. You know, why, how, how, even if you're, you're keeping yourself protected because you don't want to feel so much love for someone because you know someday, of course, they're going to end up, you know, leaving this earth and leaving and, and quote unquote leaving you. Um, you can walk around for a very long time protecting yourself that way. And it isn't until you want to love deeper. It isn't until you realize that 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 sort of armor is keeping you from experiencing life the way you want it to, not until that time when I think you're ready to do the work on yourself and you're ready to, why? Why are you carrying this around? But not only that, but how can you open yourself up and trust and let people in? Um, it wasn't until I had my children, particularly my son, when I didn't feel connected to him. And I kept asking this question, how can I let myself open up to him? How can I move away from this fear of, well, I don't want to get too close. I don't want to get too attached because what if he dies? What if something happens? I think as a new parent, we all think this in the first year or two years of their life. Even when we're pregnant, we think, oh, I don't, I want to keep myself protected because what if I lose them? What if something happens? And I just was done with that. I was done being afraid of that. And I wanted to figure this whole attachment and this whole trusting out. So that's kind of what propelled me to take that step. I think for every adoptee, it's going to be different. Um, but as parents or supporters or friends, even when you're, friend or your child says, I don't have trust issues, um, I'm not saying they're lying, but I'm saying that they may very well just not know it, because I didn't know it mm. until I was 30 years old. <laughs> I thought I was the most well, if you asked me a couple years ago about how well-adjusted I was being adopted, I'd be like, I am the most well-adjusted person in the entire world, are you kidding me? I love adoption, I love that I was adopted, I am just totally... in. I mean, I, would, I had no idea this was keeping me from experiencing life in a new depth. 
it wasn't until some of these little catalysts, like being a mom or, you know, realizing the mortality of my parents and not wanting to have a relationship with them that wasn't as deep as I as it could be, knowing I only have, you know, however many 20 more years with them. So, yeah, so that's what I would say about trust and what we can do. But there, what you mentioned that when you, that's when you took that step, mm-hmm. and you did take a very important step that helped you make peace. Can you talk about what that was? Um, are you talking about the letter <laughs> that I wrote to my birth mother? Is that what you're asking? Y- yes. Okay, <laughs> sure. I was trying to remember which step. But this was a very big step. This has been um, a monumental one. So just to give the listeners a smidgen background, um, I was told growing up my entire life I would never know my birth parents and I would never have that piece of the puzzle. About seven years ago, I had this huge, compelling feeling to just let my birth mother know if she was still alive, that she made the right decision and how grateful I was to her and that I honor my life and her life in the biggest of ways because of her decision to give me the best opportunity. So I did some Googling after a couple people encouraged me to, and I found the agency that had um, facilitated my adoption in Korea And I emailed them, not even knowing if they would be able to correspond back. And I said, I want to send a one-way letter to my birth mother and just thank her. So basically, fast forward, uh, they were able to to reach her. We have been um, corresponding through letters and getting to know each other over the past seven years. Um, And with the help of the adoption agency to translate them for us. But this past year, a couple months ago, uh, I had another one of those sort of, uh, I guess, tied into identity. But one of those other experiences where I felt an overwhelming hug to reach out and ask her very directly about the beginning of my life. And the question I posed to her finally after all this time was, can you tell me the story about how I was conceived? And for well, I shared this with when I first sent this letter to her, I asked me, a lot of my friends and family said, well, what is it that you're trying to get out of this? Like, what, what do you expect this will bring you? How is this going to help you? And for someone who's not adopted, but I think um, another group of people could understand this, or maybe people who don't know their biological parents, uh, not because they're adopted, but because maybe one of them has left, or they just didn't get to know them um, growing up. Maybe their parents divorced or split up. But when you don't know your or when you don't have your entire story, what I found for me is that it subconsciously weighs on you. Um, and again, I think it put a little bit of pressure on you to just make something of your life that's very externally oriented versus internally and between you and and the universe. And so I just had this feeling I needed to close this gap. I needed to have the first bookend my life. I mean, how did I come to be? It's when people would ask me, Megan, how do you feel about being adopted? Or, Or how do you feel now that you have children of your own? Having children of your own when you're adopted is one of the most surreal 
weird, just unexplainable experiences because somewhere deep inside you always think, well, because because my family consists of adoption, I kind of assumed that's how our my, my husband and my family would, would come about. I, I didn't really um, know what it would be like to have a relationship with a child that would look like me because I never had a relationship with an adult who looked like me. And so I wanted, I always would tell people that when I think of the beginning of my life, because I don't have this this concrete person, even though I, I had pictures of my birth mother, I couldn't ever imagine myself being born by her. And so I just said, well, I, I still feel like I came, I was a stork, you know, or I was, it was flown over, you know, and dropped off like in the beginning of Dumbo, you know, by a stork. <laughs> and I just plopped into the world because I have no idea where I came from. So I think that's, part of that had been surfacing, my allowing myself to feel these things over this past year and to heal from some of these past almost traumas, this allowed it to surface this question, how was I conceived? And I sent it off. I decided if I don't hear back, hey, I'll put myself through therapy to figure out how to move on with my life, never knowing. And I figured if I do hear back and it's traumatic or it's something that's um, less than, a, you know, less than perfect, you know, like what if I was born out of hate? What if I was out of um, fear or, or loathing or power and control? I mean, I think this is a very common question that adoptees have. If they don't know the beginning of their story, they they just sub they they think about these things all the time, even if they're not aware of it. And um, so, if if that were to be this my story, you know, okay, I'll I'll get tools and I'll do therapy or whatever else I need to be able to forgive. I really was ready to face anything so that I could feel peace. And when people asked me, Megan, what do you want to get out of this? I said, I don't know. I just feel like this is the right thing. I just feel like I'm going to feel different at the end of this. Whether I hear back or I don't hear back, I'm going to feel different, and I'm going to feel more at peace in myself. And so having no expectations, again, that I would ever hear an answer, two weeks later I get a letter in my inbox with an answer, and my birth mother told me her very painful story of how I was conceived, of how she had fallen in love with a married man, and she had abandoned her family to go pursue this love. And I love what my mother said when she read this part of the letter with me. She said, oh, my gosh, Megan, I now see where you get your tenacity from. She said she, in a culture where this was, I mean, imagine how people look at having an affair in America, okay? In South Korea, this is like unheard of. This is this mm. is extraordinarily a uh, hundred times more stigmatized and looked down on than in America. And she said she went against all odds to claim her future. And I love that, that my mother was able to to reflect on it that way that my birth mother went against all odds to claim not just her future, but my future. 
And I learned that when she became pregnant, he left. He never responded. He moved away and became obsolete. And she was left homeless and as a single mom-to-be with no support system because she was too proud to go back to her family. Her family never knew she was pregnant because she had already left home by then. And um, so that was my beginning. That I was created out of love, you know, um, and, and she made a decision to keep me. In her letter, she wrote, um, I was unable to drink food, or I was unable to drink water or eat food, but somehow you grew. And I just thought that was so beautiful. What an example of unconditional love as well for her decision to just do what she felt was right, to honor my um, journey and her journey, and, uh, and to also then 30 years later gift me with her own vulnerability, with her own pain and suffering and, and guilt and to share that with me. And in the process, I believe what happened is that I healed. I, I, the minute I read the letter, I felt complete. And I didn't even know I felt incomplete until I read the letter. I felt a huge weight lift off my shoulders. I felt I knew where I came from. I no longer had to think of flying down in a, in a sack that a stork <laughs> was flying around the globe and dropping off. You know, I, I now have that beginning, that first bookend. So, um, and it allowed her to heal as well. By asking that question, it allowed her to share the story that she's never been able to tell anybody. And she, you know, we entrusted in each other to be able to hear that and not judge it. So, and I'm, again, forever grateful um, because I think, if adoptees want to know their story in their beginning, you have to be ready to hear anything. I think that's very important. You have to be ready to hear that your birth parents may have not made decisions you would have have made. You need to be ready to hear and forgive very quickly. And at the end of the day, um, what? Why? Why not forgive? Because you're here. You know, you're you exist because of those decisions. So be grateful for those decisions. I mean, I am so grateful. She was so tenacious, and she was so gutsy, and she was so anti-societally inclined to follow her heart, you know, um, because if she hadn't, I wouldn't be here. So that I always, always am grateful. I never hold any grudge or judge judgment of them at all. Wow, and it's such a powerful story because we haven't even finished the story, and we're running out of time. <laughs> I know. So I would ask if you're. I know I can switch the schedule, and if you're available next Wednesday, we can do part two um, because there's still so much more to hear on you know what this led to, um, what has occurred, and if you are if you happen to be available next Wednesday, I'll, I can switch the schedule around and we can continue with part two of the story. Um, because I think it's very important for people to understand from this what you have created and what you're doing and the work that you're doing. Um, and that's so so much of an important part that we still need to get to. 
So if you're willing, if you, you can just check your schedule, and hopefully we'll have you back next week. I will check my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, we're we're literally down to the last three minutes. Um, yeah. So I want to make sure that people know where they can find you uh, on social media, your website, before we close out. Yes. So um, they can find True Conversations, who, which the mission for True Conversations, just really quickly, is to help people achieve a more fulfilling and peaceful life through hearing and having transparent, real, uplifting, and empowering conversations around the most stigmatized issues of today. And so they can browse a great resource is our website, which is true-conversations.com. So it's like a true with a dashed line in the middle of it, conversations.com. You can read our numerous blogs, um, our weekly podcasts, and listen to that on iTunes or just stream from the website. Check out our past live events that we've done and our training that we have available for individuals and corporations. And then on social media, one of our most active accounts is Facebook, so they can look up True Conversations LLC, and they'll find our logo, and that's our Facebook page, and just send it some love. Um, we We really pride ourselves on... Um, produce only posting quality things, um, things that we want feedback on, our our podcasts, our blogs. Um, so if if you feel like you want to surround yourself with a compassionate, open-minded, shame-free part of your news feed, if you want that in your news feed, if you want to be uplifted, if you want to feel validated and feel enough, feel your journey is worthy and you're deserving and you get to hear other people's transparent stories, um, then like us and follow us and and become involved as well. There's plenty of room for your story, um, your vision, your cause. I welcome collaboration at any time because we can't do this alone. I can't just only talk about things that have affected my life. I want have true Megan, we're really we're down to the last second. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Like I said, we can really talk more, so I hope you will be back next week. But I want to do thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. And do stay tuned because we will have part two. If not this week, it will be coming up real soon, so within the next couple of weeks here. So thank you for being with us uh, today. And for our listeners out there, always remember, if it isn't broke, make it better. Tune in next week to Let's Coach, where hopefully Megan will be back with us or will share another exciting story of giving back, sharing, growing in the coaching world. Thank you so much. Have an awesome, blessed week. And happy Thanksgiving, guys. Don't eat too much. Drive safe and be careful out there. Bye-bye. Bye.